Hello and welcome back to The Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, can you believe it's September already? I am... I can't even believe we're this far into this year. <laughs> what what happened to this year? Please tell me. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. We I went know. from, you know, the longest year ever in 2020 to now the fastest year in recorded history, it seems like. Yeah. All of a sudden, five years, and then now it's been, gosh, it feels like just yesterday was the beginning of 2021. We thought all this crap was over, and mm-hmm. <laughs> we were mm-hmm. wrong. Yep, we were wrong. <laughs> I'll uh, yeah, put that on record. Um, you know, I don't know. It it has been a really weird year because, like, of course, we're trying to navigate through the world imploding. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I don't know. It it has gone by really, really fast. Yeah, you know, they say as you get older that the years go by faster, but I don't know. I think that's true, and it's all based off of perception because, you know, when you're five years old and you're waiting for Christmas, you've only had four of them. You've only had two that you remember, and so you're you're looking at that and you're going, you know, it is a long ways off till next Christmas. And then when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you're like, uh, yeah, there's been quite a few of them. Well, you know, just for the record, <laughs> Christmas is one of my least favorite holidays. So I know because you're wrong. Fourth of July is my favorite one, you know, but, but Christmas for, for parents and you're a parent, Christmas for parents isn't always about the magical part of Christmas or whatever your religious beliefs, all of those things. It's not really about that for us as adults. It's about what, what we make for our children and everybody around us. And trying to maintain our alcohol content level, depending on how many family and friends we have. Two words. <laughs> eggnog. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, I love eggnog. I don't know about you. I love it. <laughs> you know, here we are. We're in September. We're talking about nog, but that's cool. Uh, oh, you got PSL. I mean, it's PSL season. So. <laughs> oh, I don't like PSL. I don't, you know, um, I really like pumpkin. I love pumpkin bread. I love pumpkin pie. I love all kinds of delicious pumpkin treats. I don't you're a basic like. White girl, it's well, all right. but I don't like pumpkin spice lattes. Huh. I don't like them. I've had them. I think they're too chemically. I've had them from multiple places. Just don't like it. So you're trying to give back a little portion of your basic card. I don't even wear up boots, man. Is? I don't know. You give me so much crap about IPA, <laughs> so I've got to give you a little bit of crap when I can. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit of that portion, but man, I'll take a pumpkin bread any day of the week. That works. Well, before we get too far into it, uh, we definitely want to thank our sponsor for this episode. Our sponsor of this episode is Satori Tattoo. Chris and Kim down at Satori Tattoo at 116 East 4th Street in downtown Loveland. Uh, They do a phenomenal job. So if you are in the market, you just have that itch that only a new tattoo can scratch either that or a new piercing can, definitely reach out to Chris and Kim at Satori Tattoo. Again, 116 East 4th Street. Best way to reach out to them is via Facebook Messenger. Yeah. And, you know, just a quick little plug for Chris as an artist. Um, we've talked, of course, about I love his work and I love how his work goes. I love all the people in their shop. They are all equally talented. Um, my husband actually was getting ready to do his tattoo Tuesday of this week because he's been doing a cover up of, of an old, looks like a sublime sun on his arm. He, so he's covering up a tribal. Yeah, he's covering up a tribal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with the quintessential Colorado bike tattoo. Uh, yeah. I know. I love it. Yeah. But um, Chris actually had drawn something up and they went to go put it on and it just didn't not it wasn't the right 
tattoo. And so they made the decision. He was like, look, man, I'll tattoo it on you, but I don't like it. And I think we need to go back to the drawing board quite literally. So they actually held off. They made an appointment for a couple weeks so they can kind of regroup. Um, Kim does a lot of the artwork and stuff for the tattoos with Chris as well. And, and, you know, they're really, they're, they're, they're not just going to put ink on you to put ink on you. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I love those guys. I think they're amazing humans. So, well, and are we able to share? We absolutely are able so to share. one of the cool things as well is Satori Tattoo. Uh, Kim, in particular, is designing our new logo for us. So we'll have that out in the, the I think, by next week. Uh, yeah, I think so. We should, so. yeah, at least in the next next couple of days she's been working on it. I'm super excited to see what she does, too. <laughs> it should be fun. So, yes. Uh, so if you have that itch and you need that new tattoo or piercing to get it scratched, uh, definitely go to Satori Tattoo in downtown Loveland. Yeah, definitely check them out. Um, all right. So first and foremost, so I want to dive into this is we were able to have the cornrows parade. Yeah, it was in downtown awesome. Loveland. It was a heck of a lot of fun. I know my daughter absolutely loves going to it and she got up there right in front and, uh, came home with an entire bag full of candy and flyers and corn on the cob and everything else. Yeah. That my kid, my kids <laughs> promptly raided. She, she didn't even get the fruits of her spoil. No. She got plenty. No, I know she, she did. Yeah, <laughs> she, she left did. with plenty, so it's it works out pretty well. Um, but the thing that got me is if you've listened to us for the last couple of weeks, you're pretty well aware of all of the controversy that's playing out in city council as well as online. And you could see the vast difference of the echo chambers online to the actual public reception of the candidates as they were marching in the parade. It was fascinating to me. Uh, it was actually really interesting to see, you know, you'd have a group of a candidate or somebody that maybe was sitting on council and boy, you could hear crickets when a couple of them went by. Yes. And even the, uh, the people that you would expect to have a massive crowd walking down the road and there was like five people. Yeah. And then other people that were like, oh no, everybody hates this candidate. And yet they had like 50 people. So it was just yeah. the juxta uh, juxtaposition of looking at the online communities and the online rhetoric and everything else that is being pushed uh, as far as local politics is concerned, and then seeing the actual people react to these candidates as they're as they're walking in the parade. It was utterly fascinating for me. It was. It was really cool to see a lot of the groups out, though. Um, we saw all the high schools, their marching bands. Um, <laughs> yes, we did. And I would just like to throw this in there. Loveland High was. Yes, they did. Yeah, Loveland High ended up, uh, uh, what was the final score on 34 that to zero. Okay, so it was a slaughter. <laughs> um, it, you know what I will say is, though, um, my son has a lot of friends. Of course, you know, he grew up in Loveland as he, we got, we moved back. Um, and he has a lot of friends from a lot of different schools and he does have friends on the football team at Thompson Valley high school. And they happen to be some of his friends that are my very favorite kids. I really feel bad. <laughs> no, you don't. You've got a bigger <laughs> grin on your face now than you do most of the time. I think, I think that was probably, I think it translated through the microphone. I, I, <laughs> you know, the worst part about it right now is, is not knowing the cheers. Because when both both of us went to Loveland High, we were the Loveland High Indians, and they just changed it to what the Red Wolves. Yeah, and, and it's a, it, actually the logo looks pretty cool. It I'll does. give it that. But it's still the Indians. I know. And so listening to some of the chants or anything of that sort, you're like, "This is wrong. This no." I don't like. <laughs> it, it feels strange, and you know, I, they have plenty of reasons for doing that. I don't. 
think we need to dive into that, but, um, it, it is a little disappointing. It's a point of nostalgia. Yeah, it is. You know, it's seen some of the controversy and you have the Loveland high Indians. I don't think there was anything wrong with Indians. And yet now it's a, a statewide statewide law that any native American, um, mascots have to change their names. Yeah. And me personally, I ride an Indian motorcycle. And now there's been a whole lot of pushback against Indian motorcycle. And I'm going, why Why the amount of pushback? Is because the fact that I was a Loveland High Indian, I studied a lot of Indian culture. Because I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to know and understand. Yeah. Same thing with the Indian Motorcycle Company. It started in 1901. And I understand and read into the history. Why did they choose that? What went into naming the motorcycle company the Indians? Yeah. And Or the Indian. And so how much history we are losing by somebody taking offense now. And I can tell you. When I had, I had the opportunity to ride with the Indian group on Saturday or on uh, Sunday, the Indian Motorcycle Group. Indian Motorcycle okay, Riders. I just group. wanted to yeah. clarify. Indian Motorcycle Riders Group, and I had a great opportunity to ride with them. It was a beautiful ride. We had three Indians, you know, Cherokee. I think one was Cherokee, one was Cheyenne, and I, I forget what the other tribe was. But just being able to talk to them and how they part of the reason why they bought an Indian motorcycle was because they're Indian. They're, they are actually Indian. They have Indian blood in them. And you just look at it and you go, the only people that I've ever talked to that have had an issue with it have been white people. Well, <laughs> so is it guilt? I don't know. I don't know. But you look at it and we talked about this prior, but you look at, we're just walking around the grocery store right now and all of the faces are gone. All of the faces with the exception of the white people. I know. <laughs> so you just kind of look at that and you go, what did we do to society? Is we just, because everybody complained, they just whitewashed everything. Well, and that's, so. I think that's what's frustrating for me is because whitewashing, literally whitewashing everything is, is essentially erasing those histories. And I, I think, um, I, there are a lot of groups that are working to make sure that Native Americans and that other cultures, you know, the, um, African-American cultures, Native American, I, I think obviously we are a melting pot and, and we should celebrate that. And I think by completely erasing all of that history, what we do is we take away from that really cool culture that we could be part of, Yeah, you know? Um, hey, real quick, I just I want to give out a shout a shout out to Greg for helping us with our sound last week. Yes. Yeah. It seems like we got that squared away now so and if you if you are listening and you ever come across and say hey something's not sounding right um please reach out to us the easiest way to do that is the native dot the transplant um at gmail.com and let us know so that way we can correct it and hopefully in, um make your experience listening to us even better yeah but d- thanks a lot greg we appreciate that very much because <laughs> i was like oh better call alex <laughs> hashtag call alex <laughs> it happens <clears throat> yeah all right so i i want to dive into something and, and this is a little bit it's not as local as i would like to stay but it's something that is hitting very much local it is <laughs> it's i i laugh just even bringing up this topic, but I, I have tried to research it. I've tried to have a better understanding of what's going on with it and it boggles the mind right now. So this 
horse dewormer. Ivermectin. That, Ivermectin. Ivermectin. Yeah. That people are taking. You have a background in, in healthcare. I do. Yeah. So I, I got to ask you the question because we are hearing it, especially after Joe Rogan came out and said he's taking Ivermectin. You've got a lot of people that are talking about this. We and- have judges that are, are actually issuing, um, like basically ruling that you have to give this patient ivermectin or you're going to be fined. Yes. So we're seeing all of this stuff that's out there. And I've heard from people in our communities talking about ivermectin, talking about not being able to get their prescription filled or having mm-hmm. to jump through hoops in order to get their prescription filled. And so that's why I want to bring it up is what is it? Why are people taking it? What? Okay. <laughs> What's with the information, the misinformation? Because all that we're hearing is a bunch of people on one side saying, hey, you guys are a bunch of idiots taking the dewormer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've got some people on the other side that are, you know, it's just the constant back and forth that we have. Okay. So I'm going to preface this by saying I am not a physician. I am not involved in research as far as medications go. I'm not a pharmacist. I am simply a nurse that can read some of these medical journals and kind of try to understand what these studies say. It should be noted that when I look up medical stuff like this, I, I do a search that, and you even had some trouble finding information on this. I, I We sat down and I, I had a difficult time finding that. But just I do want to preface this by saying I am not giving any medical advice. I am not standing on one side or the other you know, I, I have a license to uphold and I'm really proud of that license. So just be real clear about that. Yes. And this is just, I, I'm just looking for information yeah. just as far as why. So the first thing that I did when I started looking at this is I wanted to find the origin of why people were believing that ivermectin might have some efficacy against COVID. Um, it, it, I did find a couple journal sources. There's of course all kinds of Snopes and, and, Everybody's saying like, don't take this. And, and the reason that people are saying not to take ivermectin is number one, like you just mentioned, it's very difficult to get a prescription and then have a pharmacy fill that prescription for a medication that is not being approved to treat COVID. Okay. Every single treatment that we have been giving for COVID is experimental. Okay. Because we don't know what we're doing. I, like I said, I'm not a physician. Our doctors are literally throwing everything we can at it. So that's comforting. Well, I mean, (laughs) the thing about it is, is that not knowing what it's going to do, we don't know how to treat it. What we know how to do is we know how to treat symptoms, but that doesn't mean that those symptoms, the symptomatic treatment is going to cure somebody. It just may make them feel better until they die. Got it. And that's, that's the crappy part about this. So just so that's real clear. Well, and I know that, um, we talked, um, a few, I mean, shoot, this is going back probably four or five months now. Yeah. Um, but just how you had to change the way that you do normal things as far as just even be able to, to do CPR uh, yes. while someone's laying on their stomach. Yeah. And, and being able yeah. to change the way that, that you're treating a patient. And all of this is just adaptation and trial and error. Right, exactly. Like we were, we're, and we still are, we're proning patients because we know if we lay somebody on their stomach. Okay, proning? Um, laying somebody on their stomach. Okay. <laughs> so um, laying somebody on their stomach, we know opens the bottom of their lungs up. And what happens with COVID is that it likes to settle into your lungs. I mean, and, and I've, I've had the phlegm and the mucus and all of that described as rubber cement. 
So if you can imagine that sitting in your lungs, you can't cough it out. You can't, we can't suction it out. It's not like we can stick a tube down your lungs and get that out of there. You have to cough it up or we have to put a chest tube in. And even then, if it's like rubber cement, trying to get that to drain out of a chest tube is a nightmare. Yeah. And, and, and it's a hot mess. That's the only way I can describe it. But that aside, um, we're proning people on their stomachs. So we're putting them on their stomachs and we're turning them pretty regularly so that essentially we can shift those fluids in the lungs so that we can open up those areas and help people clear that out. Okay. Because COVID-19 is a virus and antibiotics are not effective against viruses. So that's why when you go to the doctor, the doctor says like, well, it's a virus. I'm not going to give you antibiotics. Because we know what that does is that actually decreases the efficacy of antibiotics across the board. Okay. Cause we don't want to, you know, we don't want to treat something that it doesn't actually work against. No. Okay. Tamper it down to let it grow yeah. back tougher. Um, okay. So I, I was looking into this and I was only able to find a couple of sources as to what was the reasoning behind giving ivermectin to treat. So, Interestingly enough, it actually kind of brought up some interesting um, correlation between the use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, which is Plaquenil. Um, it's actually used to treat inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, um, any of those autoimmune diseases. And it um, is that the hydroxychloroquine or is that the ivermectin? The hydroxychloroquine. Okay. Yeah. So hydroxy, and the reason I I digress on that is because. The studies that I can find thus far are actually coupling those two together as a, a dual treatment. So interestingly enough, there is there is some merit behind its use. Okay. Ivermectin. Ivermectin is an antiparasitic. Okay. So if you have a parasite in your body that we need to prevent further literal growth of these parasites. Um, it can also treat, I guess, topically it can treat rosacea, um, lice, stuff like that. Um, it is used in livestock to deworm because those are parasites, right? Okay. So the problem and, and why everybody of course is saying you shouldn't take this is because the availability of ivermectin as a prescription written for a human has not been proven yet. Now I'm not saying it won't be. I don't know if it will or will not. Okay. So ivermectin as it's, um, it is an anti-parasitic. And so they would give it to somebody who has a parasite. Hydroxychloroquine of course is inflammation and it actually helps with, um, some bone density loss, all of those. There's a lot of actions that hydroxychloroquine has, um, it is kind of dangerous because it can elongate the QRS complex on your heart which essentially it's that polarize, repolarize, and it's where the heart is resetting to beat again. And if that elongates far enough, if we catch it in time, we can treat it. But if we don't catch it in time, you will go into cardiac arrest and there's nothing we can do. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird little balance there because we have to be careful. So that's why hydroxychloroquine was kind of questionable in this treatment of COVID. If you had any cardiac issues at all, and a lot of COVID patients do because that is kind of the nature of the virus. Got okay? It. Okay. So that's why people that were against that. So ivermectin, you know, horse dewormer. Okay. <laughs> and for the record, don't take veterinary grade ivermectin. 
If you are going to take any of these medications, do, do it. Do you need to repeat that? Do don't <laughs> take veterinary grade ivermectin. Here's the deal. If your physician prescribes this to you and you have faith in your first, your physician, then by all means. But I am not saying under any circumstances to take these medications without the guidance of your physician. You know, just in protection of my license here, I'm not saying that. Here's the reasoning, though, behind the two. Um, so an, uh, a journal in the BMC Public Health, um, it's the BMC Public Health Journal. It's from the German, it's this German-British academic publishing company. Okay. So, um, in March of this year, they did pu publish an article, um, of the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin with each other. Okay. So paired together. The idea was, is that ivermectin had shown some antiviral activity against RNA and DNA viruses. Um, that is problematic by the way, because we are dealing with a novel virus, novel meaning we've never seen it before. It's an unpredictable non novel virus. We really don't know what it's going to do. Okay. So that's problematic. However, the, the concept is that hydroxychloroquine would prevent or inhibit the entry of COVID-19 into host cells, therefore not allowing it to replicate, which is any virus, any bacteria, the more it's allowed to replicate in your body, the sicker you get, the easier you can spread it, all of those things. Okay. So hydroxychloroquine, again, would inhibit the entry of COVID into the host cells. And then ivermectin would come in like, you know, the tackle um, to further enhance antivi antiviral activity by inhibiting viral replication. So stop it from entering the cells and then stop it from replicating. Okay. So it can't enter the cells. It can't replicate. So the two yeah. of those, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So it's a twofold thing and it's, not, <laughs> is there any issue with the journal that actually in, uh -huh. initially put out this information? Yeah. So it's, sometimes it can be difficult to find sources and to figure out where that study came from. Um, what I was able to find is that the, this BMC public health, um, actually publishes over 300 peer reviewed, reviewed journals, and they are published by a company called Springer nature. Springer nature has come under some fire saying that, um, they are a predatory publisher, which means that they don't participate in high quality copy editing or peer review. So it could be predatory publishing versus low quality publishing. So we don't really know what the sources are or if, if, um, they're actually doing high quality peer review. Okay. Got it. So it is from a German British academic publishing company and they do publish a bunch of journals, but it sounds to me like they may be publishing pretty much anything that is submitted to them and not actually doing that peer review. So that's to be determined. I, I need to do a little more digging on that because I wasn't able to find a legitimate source to say yes or no. Okay. I would say though, this BMC with this, this study with the hydroxychloroquine and the ivermectin, it did appear like they had some pretty good sources, but they were very careful at the end of this journal article to say that they don't have enough evidence to be able to say that that's actually what's going on. That's what they're postulating. 
Got it. So it'd be cool if it was. Yeah. So I don't know. Where the frustration and part of the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because I was figuring if I'm asking these questions, probably some somebody else and one of our listeners is probably asking these questions. And a lot of the research that I was able to find, I actually had to use a VPN and mm-hmm. put myself out of the United States with my VPN to be able to try and even track down any of this information. And I think that that's some of the frustration as well is trying to find these good, solid sources as far as how did somebody come up with this? Because I imagine that it boils down to somebody put it out on Reddit or something along those lines, and uh, it it flooded the market. Well, I actually did check Reddit for some information. Because, you know, sometimes they'll point you towards research evidence yeah, yeah, or here's a source. Or, yeah. Yes. I actually did check Reddit, and there was a whole thing about this Springer nature maybe not being the highest quality. So, you know, of course it's Reddit. Okay, it's crowdsourcing, and it's all these people talking and all of that. But I do think that there may be some merit to this. Um, just with the idea that this... um antiviral activity against the RNA and DNA viral stuff. And there is some question as to whether or not that would work. So, but what I'm also hearing you say is just like you don't use the fishbowl cleaner of hydroxychloroquine, Mm -hmm. you don't use the uh, ivermectin that is meant for, you know, a 2000 pound horse. Correct. It would be very important for you to (laughs) speak with your physician and decide if that was the right course of action for you. Um, I did, I did read an interesting, <laughs> no, that's, well, it's like that lady in, I think it was Arizona. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. She had some, some hydroxychloroquine that was, uh, underneath her fish tank or something of that sort, gave it to her husband. And, uh, he obviously ended up dying a few hours later mm-hmm. and she blamed the Trump administration, blamed everybody else. And I think that, uh, I think that she's actually under investigation for murder. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. That's a little <laughs> bit of an issue. Uh, well, and what I would say is this, you know, veterinary grade medications are tested different. Animals metabolisms are different than ours. Um, I, I did read a story about a, a man that had taken two, big tubes of this ivermectin, um, and essentially had his bowels come out his rectum. Uh huh. (laughs) Because, because of course it's an antiparasitic. So what it's going to do is it's going to induce diarrhea. Got it. Got it. Hydroxychloroquine. I already explained some of the issues with that, but obviously we, you don't know the dosing. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not going to sit down and figure out the dosing for that. But if you take it too much, you're you're going to be sitting for quite a while. It sounds like so it, potentially, <laughs> and have to wear diapers for the rest of your life. So, I what I would say is this: I think that there is some hope is the wrong word. There's some. Maybe, there's an opportunity for a further study to show yeah, its efficacy. More information. I think, and you know, you said something earlier that made me kind of take a little bit of a pause. Here's the thing: we don't know what the sources of these things are. We don't readily have that information available to us to be able to source those things. So it would only make sense that people would hang their hat on this, that this is, this is going to be the, the savior. This is going to be the fix all drug. And I, I totally get that because of course we've been doing this for how long we've been doing 18 months now. 
Yeah. We've been doing this for 18 months and this is terrifying and we're worried about our families and we're worried about our jobs and our planet and our livelihood and all of those things. So it would be easy to say, okay, well, this is a miracle drug. They're just not telling me about it. No. I don't think that's the case. I think that there is some caution to this, of course. Um, so my, my biggest thing, like I said, I'm not a physician. I'm not a scientist that sits in the labs and watches this, you know, the RNA, DNA, antiviral properties of something. I don't know that information. I would just say use caution and talk to your doctor. <laughs> That's fair enough. No, I appreciate you taking the time and diving into it because hearing, <laughs> just hearing, I mean, if you spent any time on social media, especially when Joe Rogan came out and was talking about it, uh, that lit up the, the lines and you're, you're just like, what even is this? And that's, where, that's yeah. why I wanted to bring it up. That's why I wanted to talk about it um, and be able to get a, a better understanding. Well, I do have a question for you that I actually forgot to bring up earlier on a Shoot. different subject. Okay. Um, did you see this thing where Governor Polis wants to abolish the state income tax? I did. What do you think about that? Uh, so I understand his thought process, and this is where it's the constant back and forth with Governor Polis as far as um, – Liking him and despising him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that. It, it's There's an awful lot of stuff that he does that I do not agree with. And there's occasionally some stuff that I'm like, really? That came from you? And so it's just kind of right. that, <laughs> that's one of those that you have to kind of go back and forth. When he started talking about um, eliminating the income tax, he made some valid points as far as there's, um, what is it, 13 – Seven or 13 uh, states in the union that don't – I think it's seven. Yeah, I'm um, not sure that, the number. I'm that sorry. That do not have a state income tax. Uh, obviously, just to the north of us, Wyoming, Nevada, Florida, yeah, uh, Texas are some of the ones that just off the top of my head. So it's – what his argument was is that you – by having a state income tax – you are deterring people from bringing in companies into the state, being able to build jobs, grow the overall population, grow the overall workforce, and grow the state. And having a state income tax definitely puts a, a hamper on that. Some of the other parts about this that I look at is the federal tax rate. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the federal tax rate, and again, we're still under the Trump administration taxes. And so with that, one of the things that it does is that you cannot write off greater than, I believe, $10,000 worth of state income tax. Yeah. So that in and of itself, it puts another hamper, like states like California, that they have a 13.5% uh, income tax for their highest level. That's a major detractor, and you see an awful lot of people leaving uh, California right now and going to states that do not have an income tax because right. they want to keep more of the money that they make. It's understandable. It's it's very, very logical what is going on and what's transpiring with all of this. The problem with trying to eliminate a state income tax within, like, a state of Colorado that has been in place for many, many years mm -hmm. is where is the money going to come where from? Where are we going to make that up? Exactly. That's the part that I fear is you're then at that point in time looking at a higher property tax. Oh, yeah, which I already pay a lot. <laughs> so either a higher property tax, either a higher 
uh, fuel tax, which they're already going to start increasing that because of the $5.4 billion infrastructure bill. Um, there, you can raise the overall sales tax. So there's quite a few areas that they can actually increase taxes. But again, it's not that that it's not that you're ever going to save the money that you're paying in state income tax. You're just going to pay it somewhere else. Yeah. They'll make up the difference. It, it, it sounds real nice, but we have to make up the difference somewhere. Correct. And so that's where you've got to, to look at it and go, okay, are they going to toss another $40 onto my registration fees? Are they going to toss another, you know, another 25 mils on my property taxes or luxury taxes. Exactly. And so yeah. that's where we have to take a look and see, yes, it's a good idea. Yes. It, it started the conversation, but I don't think that it's feasible, at least not right now. Well, I would tend to agree with that. I, I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I, I forgot to mention it earlier because I, I had read it and put it down as something to talk about, but I, it, you know, it sounds really good. Sure. I'd love that. But they always make up for it. Yes. Of course, you know, we do have the, the <laughs> marijuana tax stuff. Yeah, that's a fun one. We aren't going to dive into that Not one. today. Not today. <laughs> um, we don't have enough time yeah, to Yeah, not at all. One. No, I was just curious about that because it honestly was something I, I didn't really understand how we could even really implement that. And then it, is it really a benefit to us or is it something that actually would be kind of a penalty? Uh, it could very easily be a detriment, although when you look at it, as far as if they put it on sales tax, then anybody who's coming into the state that's visiting our national parks or anything along those lines, mm -hmm. they're going to be paying more in sales tax. Yeah. So they're able to make up for it. But again, our cost of living is going to increase. And while we're at record levels of inflation right now, mm -hmm. now's not the time to start doing any of this. Especially not in the state of Colorado. I mean, we're already paying enough. I I don't know. It's just, I, I kind of feel like we're imploding a little bit. As far as all of this goes, I, I, would, I would like to bury my head in the sand very much. Yeah. The unfortunate aspect is uh, you've got to be a politician to be able to do that. Oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so let, right. me, let me talk to you about the abortion bill. Oh, boy, howdy. Texas, this obviously has gotten an awful lot of traction. And the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because not only did we have our abortion talk yep. on the podcast, that was back in June. Um, which if you haven't listened to that one, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that discussion. I know it's not the topic that everybody wants to, to listen about, but I think we made some very good valid points throughout that podcast with everything that is happening with Texas. Mm -hmm. This I've, I fielded quite a few phone calls of people that were looking at the abortion ban bill that was uh, voted down in 2020. Correct. Here in Colorado. Yeah. And so there's another push to get another abortion ban bill onto the ballot for the midterm elections in 2022. No, It doesn't have nearly the strength. It doesn't have the steam. I don't think that it, they will actually get the signatures to be able to put it onto the ballot. And I have a feeling that if they even do put it on the ballot, it will get shot down again. I think so. Yeah. With what happened in Texas, so if you aren't familiar with it, so Texas, on it, they had already passed this bill, and it went live on September 1st. The Supreme Court did not put a stay uh, stay order. There's already multiple lawsuits against it. It will end up in the Supreme Court, or the Mississippi bill will probably hit the Supreme Court first, and then that will trickle down into what the decision on the, the Texas bill is going to be. Yeah. The, <laughs> there's an awful lot of, of anger on both sides on this one. And the the part that infuriates me about the the abortion bill in Texas 
if it stays, I don't care what your opinion is on any, on any of this. If it stays, then we lose autonomy of our, of our body. We lose our own autonomy. Yeah. And if they do not fight this and it is allowed to stay as law, then at that point in time, I can very easily see California, New York, um, a blue state mandating vaccinations. And then at that point in time, that'll go to the Supreme Court that if you want to live or travel in this state, Mm -hmm. you have to have a vaccine. Yep. And so with this, the Texas law, again, it, this, I'm not talking about this on the abortion side. Yes, it is an abortion bill, but what I'm worried about most of all is our own bodily autonomy. Yeah, it's the implication of what that could lead to. Correct. And this is truly, it's a ripple effect moment where somebody, this is the bill that tossed the rock into the pond. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing what are the ripples going to do? Well, and I, I would say just for the record, I am appalled and disgusted by this law in Texas. I think that it opens the door for, you know, retaliatory accusations. It opens the door for tattletaling that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I, you and I, I really struggle with this. I struggle with, of course, the abortion part of it, but I also really struggle with the idea that we're going to be mandated to do something that is not our choice. And of course, Alex, we've talked about this. I think that everybody should get the vaccine because I feel like, I feel like that at least is a minor chip at getting back to. I thought you said they didn't have chips in them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, Alex. <laughs> Sorry. It was a golden opportunity. I had to take it. <laughs> oh, okay. I recover from the- Thanks, Alex. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, okay. So what Alex is referring to is there are some groups that are saying that the vaccine actually has um, lead in it that will, um, eventually all travel to your brain and form a chip in your brain that is the mark of the beast. Um, yeah, the, they're putting in, yeah. I mean, you know, it I'm is not saying I know everything. It is what it is. <laughs> um, okay. Where, where I was going on this, of course. Um, I really, really don't like this because I think that this is, it, it becomes a predatory sort of law that creates a really, really unsafe environment for women. And I, you know, my stance and like, like Alex said earlier, if you listen to our, our show, the entire show we did on abortion, I, I feel like there, you know, this is a, a serious step backwards. And I think it's for men and women. And I would say that because yes, of course it is the woman who would have the abortion done, but it's also looking at the flip side for the men as well. Yeah. Where if you're, if your partner and you and yourself, you find out at 10 weeks that she is pregnant yeah. at that point in time, you have to go through with it or you go out of state, something along those lines. Yeah. And I, I don't agree with it personally. And again, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because I go into greater detail yeah. as far as how a male in particular can have a pretty decent understanding about abortion and can talk pretty well about it. I, I don't know. If- <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. I, I think the argument that um, it's not a man doesn't have the right to have an opinion on that is, is um, it's antiquated. And the reason I say that is because when two people conceive 
whatever, you know, a child, fetus, whatever it is. When two people do that together, it, I do think that hopefully that person has some say in what happens. Yeah. And, and in a lot of cases, I've talked to a lot of people that have said, well, my, my significant other, I, uh, significant other and I decided that this was not the right time or that this was not a good environment to bring this child into. So we made that decision. And of course you always hope that that's the environment that it's in. Um, so I think obviously there is the woman is making that choice argument kind of thing. But I, I, I think that's, like I said, I think it's kind of an antiquated argument. Yeah. And I can understand the reasoning and the thought process behind the bill. I don't agree with it fully. Um, the biggest issue that I have with all of this, not only are we talking about body, bodily autonomy, but the fact that not a single one, not a single one of the Republicans in the Texas House right now, including Greg Abbott, not a single one of them has put forth an adoption reform bill. Well, and I, I take very big issue with that because of course, I mean, for myself, I'm, I, I am pro-life, but I don't believe that pro-choice is the solution. You know what I'm saying? Like, or I I don't believe that, that I'm sorry, I should reword that. I I am pro, (laughs) that sounded very bad. Um, the solution to reduction in abortions is not banning them completely. It's finding better options and looking at what's really going on and and how does this person need help? And if the end choice ends up being an abortion, I don't think that there should be a fine. I don't think that, you know what I'm saying? And, and going back to your original point though, this really boils down to autonomy with your own body. And I will tell you what I think is kind of ironic is that these Republicans that voted this through in Texas are all anti-vaccine but they're yelling, my body, my choice. And that's the, the comical thing right now is because it's on both sides. Where you it have is. On the right, uh, my body, my choice when it comes to the vaccine, but I'm going to control you when it comes to uh, <laughs> to child rearing. And that's where it becomes problematic. And then also on the flip side is on the left, you see my body, my choice when it comes to abortion, mm-hmm. but I want to force everybody to have a vaccine. Well, and I think, I think that such a, it's such a murky, murky little cesspool. Oh, absolutely. And everybody's just sort of, I want to do what I want to do, but I'm going to force you to do what I think you should do. And, and just like you said that, you know, putting mandates in and really, if you look at what this has the implication of doing or, or, or the possibility of doing is it's going to take away a lot of people's rights. Yes. And I don't, I, I truly believe that nobody has looked at the unintended consequences of these actions. This is where I, this is where you really have to look at the overall ripple effect of this action. Yes. And this will play out in the courts. If this is upheld, if I, I put money on it, Mm -hmm. if the Texas bill and the Mississippi bill are held up in court, I don't think it'll overturn Roe v. Wade, but I believe that if that happens, if they are held up in court, then it shows that each state individually can make the decisions and abortion laws that that suit them and the populace that are in them. Right. If that were to happen, I put money on it that you will see multiple states, especially blue states, that are going to put out vaccine mandates. And if you want to enter their state or you want to live in their state, you will be required to have a vaccine. Well, you know, to that point, because you and I have talked about this, I do not, I do not agree with mandates. 
I suppose maybe that's because I'm an optimist and I hope that people will do the right thing based on others <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> I know that. I know that. Yeah. That's why I'm drinking this beer. Um, <clears throat> I'm fully aware of what that is, but I, I do think you're right. And I think that what's happening is essentially we're being mandated to do things that we maybe don't agree with. And, and to be perfectly frank with you, we are Americans and we are supposed to be free. And every single step of this last year has essentially been taking our rights away. Oh, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So I, yeah. I do ag agree with you on that point. And, and we could dive into the abortion thing. I don't yeah, want to. No, I don't have the heart that. for it. So one of the things that with this and that I've been hearing, and this is not just going throughout um, everything that happened yesterday, but also everything that has happened throughout the last couple of weeks. And uh, I was on Twitter. And one thing, so a, a gentleman by the name of Nathan Howe, uh, his thread, and it's 11 tweets long or so, caught me off guard, and it, it just kind of spoke to me. And so I want to take a time and just dealing with mental health right now and read his story. It starts off, several years ago, a neighborhood kid kicked a football and shattered a small basement window. We were a family of six living on a teacher's salary at the time, so I boarded it up, thinking I'd get to it someday. The frame was rusted shut. I couldn't fix it. Over the years, I'd sometimes get estimates from window companies. Of course, the plan was to upgrade to energy-efficient windows for the whole house. But at $15,000, it was simply out of reach. In the meantime, the boarded-up window let in bugs, but not the light. One contractor explained that the location of the window, with the frame embedded into the foundation, that meant that whoever replaced it would need to chisel it out by hand a very labor-intensive and expensive process. And there were six of those windows in the house. Honestly, the thought of that window ate at me for years. Every time I went down there, every time I went to the hardware store, it just <clears throat> nagged at me. I knew I needed to address it, but I had built up the process and the price so much in my mind that I was paralyzed. Then my wife had a job change. And we needed to move. And I knew that any potential buyer that couldn't get an FHA loan on the property if there was a broken window. So finally, I pulled the boards and the cardboard off to face this thing head on. It had been at least five years. I thought, what the heck? I'm going to have to pay for it anyways. I grabbed some WD-40, sprayed it all around the rusted frame, and gave it a tug. And to my astonishment, it moved. It moved for the first time in decades. I pulled the window out. I took it downtown. It was a $12 fix. $12 fix. I could have fixed the problem for $12 the same day that it happened, but I let it haunt me for years, shutting out light and letting in bugs. And I finally fixed it for somebody else when the house was empty. It didn't need to be the most efficient. It just needed to be a window. Okay, this this really isn't about the window. I mean, the story is true, but it's also a decent parable. Many of us, especially those with ADHD, with anxiety or depression, tend to live with these broken windows of one type or another for years. Everybody's broken windows are different. They are things that seriously affect our quality of life, and we know that they need work. But the actions to address them seem to be daunting. I've still got plenty of them myself, and if you recognize yours, a few things to know. An imperfect solution now 
is better than a perfect solution that will never happen. Doing the thing is often less painful than thinking about doing that thing. Again, doing that, doing the thing is often less painful than thinking about doing that thing. Acknowledging how the problem is affecting you can reduce its power over you. Don't blame yourself for dwelling on your broken windows. Just enjoy the light when you fix one. And there are some windows that you cannot fix by yourself. Find the right help for the right windows. And you don't have to fix it all now. Just start by starting. That entire thread, it it hit me at the right moment in time. Mm -hmm. Because there are an awful lot of things that, that we go through, and especially the time that we've been experiencing right now, and a lot of stuff that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. Even just talking about ivermectin, talking Absolutely. about COVID, these are things that we don't have power over. These are things that we can't control. Right. Dealing with Afghanistan, dealing with city council. Yes, there's opportunities to be able to vote, be able to speak up, be able to do some certain things. But more often than not, we get so stuck in our inaction, mm-hmm. but our constant action in our mind and playing out the scenario over and over and over again and yet never actually being able to to move forward and as he said being paralyzed by that and so it was just one of those things that stuck out in my mind and I wanted to share with you I actually think it's lovely I I I think um the idea that getting stuck on something doesn't have to be an end-all be-all you know you spent five years essentially fighting the idea of fixing a window that it took him what a couple minutes to unstick yeah you know it's an interesting um parable i think for what we've been doing for the last year and a half <laughs> it really is you know i yeah. it, it it definitely gave me some pause too alex i think um you know we've we've seen a lot of changes in the mental health of our friends and family and I don't know. It it is frustrating. It's upsetting because we don't know how to do anything. I mean, there's always the, for every action, there is a reaction, but inaction is almost exactly the same as a reaction. Yeah. You know, doing, not doing. Um, there's an interesting, the, the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu talks about inaction actually being an action. So it's, if you have something that you're stuck on, and you choose not to do something about it, sometimes that actually is the solution. Of course, in the case of the window, it's not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But but, unfortunately, in the case of, uh, you know, Congress, that seems to be how they operate right now. Yeah, that's just their MO. (laughs) Yeah, modus operandi. Um, But it sometimes, though, banging your head against a wall isn't always the solution for it, and, and going back and going back and trying to solve something, but still hitting that brick wall isn't always the you know, isn't always the solution. So I, I always think about, um, when I'm faced with like something that is frustrating to me or I can't fix sometimes what I'll do. And this is almost, I don't know if it's, maybe it's burying my head in the sand. I don't know. Um, (laughs) but sometimes what I do for myself is I stop and I think, do I actually need to do something about this? Is yeah. this something that I actually need to address or can I sit back and let things happen? You know what I mean? Um, 
I think in, in this day and age, what, what has happened is that we all feel this call to stand up and do something. And in many cases that is what needs to happen, but sometimes it's maybe sitting back and saying, okay, I can't fix this. I can let that go. Yeah. And it's also the same time where a lot of people, a lot more people over the last 18 months have been working from home Mm -hmm. uh, than instead of going into the office. And that's a great thing for an awful lot of people. But the other problem with that is if is always being on yeah, and not having your off time where you're laying in bed at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, watching Netflix and checking your email. Absolutely. And it's, you aren't having that off time to be able to recuperate, to be able to actually step away, hit the snooze button on the emails and just say, no, for the next eight hours, I don't need to look at you. And, uh, that's also, I think, playing into an awful lot of this big time. Do you know what I actually, um, so I'll tell you one of my broken windows, um, <laughs> okay. and I'll, I'll just be real straightforward. I, I yeah. realized, of course, you know, there's, there's a challenge I'm in healthcare and I'm not in direct patient care and I want to be, my physician has continually said no. And I've said, yeah. but I'm, but I'm vaccinated. It's okay. I already had it. It's fine. I can go. And the answer has continuously been no. And I'll tell you the core of my being as a nurse is standing at that bedside and making a difference for my patients. And I had to sort of let go of the idea that, um, that wasn't where I was going to be. So my broken window honestly did come. There was a little depression in there and I wouldn't say clinical depression, just some situational depression and, and, um, really being able to address that and say, you know, I can't fix everything, but I can do what I can from where I'm at. And I think that, um, you know, I'm of course always going to be outspoken about things. You're out, we're outspoken about things. That's, I mean, here we're doing a podcast, right? But I think for me, it was actually finding my voice and understanding what I believe in and what I stand for and really being able to express those things. And so again, like I I said, my broken window has been some of that depression. I know that at the height of this, we weren't even recording at the time at the height of this pandemic, I was coming home from the hospital and driving home and calling my couple people that I knew I could vent to and then driving around. And I didn't want to pull into my driveway because I knew the minute that I pulled into my driveway, I had to be on. So I had to walk into my house. I had to strip down my clothing. I had to shower. I had to clean myself up and I had to go make dinner and take care of laundry and do the kids stuff, the homework, all of that stuff. And I was super overwhelmed. And I just had to say to myself, like, okay, It's okay not to be okay, but you're still going to put your foot forward. And I think a lot of people, you know, they're in their, in their social media, media bubbles, they're in their work bubbles, they're in their family bubbles. And I mean, fortunately I have a really, really good support system and that helped me pull out of kind of that depression, but definitely that's one of my broken windows. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, what's one of your broken windows? (laughs) Ah, oh, thank Got you for putting list. me on the spot. No, um, <laughs> a big one uh, for me is actually just dealing, a lot of people don't know this, but I deal with constant pain. I was, yeah. um, back in October, I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, and I've been, <laughs> to put it into context, the last rugby match that I ever played, mm-hmm. um, I was a tight head prop, so a number three position in rugby, and we were in a scrum. The scrum started to collapse. It got twisted. 
and I got pushed up and pulled down at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is I, I, uh, cracked three ribs, but not only cracked them, I cracked them and separated them from the cartilage. I bellowed. <laughs> when oh, that I happened. remember. I remember. I was I, running through the pitch. Oh, I God, bellowed God. when that happened. And to tell you that since October, I've had a handful of days that I would have craved to have the amount of pain that I experienced in my last rugby match than the amount of pain that I was truly in. Well, and I can speak to that a little bit from the chronic disease thing, just to give our viewers an idea. Essentially, that injury sent you on a cascade of inflammation from your psoriatic arthritis. Yes. I mean, I did that when I was was snow blowing 18 (laughs) inches of snow, and I pulled my shoulder and then spent the next two years basically just limping around in a miserable pain. Yeah. So, and I never had a diagnosis until October and, um, then at least knowing what was going on, but it's something that constantly fighting medication, constantly fighting Mm -hmm. to just feel normal and having something. And again, it's one of those things that you, you don't have control over it. Mm -hmm. And so being able to try and just continue to work through it and be able to adapt and, you know, even my workouts, I, you know, used to, my workouts used to either be CrossFit or used to be lifting heavy weights. And it was always, you know, pick things up, put them down, mm-hmm. pick up heavy things, put them down. Yeah. <laughs> and having to change even the way that I work out. Right. Right. And it's something that it's, it, everything's a mental game. Everything is, how can you move through this? How can you adapt? Right. So. Well, and I think all of us have broken windows and, and whether or not we can confront them head on. And sometimes like you were just saying with the medications, man, I, I just spent a month and a half fighting with my insurance company and the specialty pharmacies and all of the powers that be and the the kid that makes $12 an hour denying my medication because he didn't get enough charting on it, Yeah, you know, and, and there, it is a battle. It is. A, I, I actually am starting my eighth medication on Friday. Hopefully, hopefully I won't fail this one. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that tends to be overwhelming in itself. And then we all have to get up and we all have to go to work and we all have to do those things. <laughs> so I, it's, that's an interesting, I, I think that was a really lovely um, story to kind of point out that we all have a broken window, maybe yeah. two or three, right? Oh, absolutely. And the thing that I encourage everybody is if you're going through a tough time, reach out to somebody, talk to somebody. I know, um, and I shared this, I've had some vets, um, some of our local veterans that have reached out to me and I've been humbled mm-hmm. the fact that they would reach out to me, but I was able to be the ear that they needed. They didn't need a solution. They knew that I couldn't offer them mm-hmm. a solution, but they knew that I could listen. Yeah. They knew that I would understand where they were coming from. And a few of them, I was able to give them a little bit of guidance, but with also a couple of them, it was just strictly to be on the phone and to listen. Yeah. Just to be that, just to be that neutral party that can hear what you're saying without being scared and without any judgment, you know? So if you are dealing with some mental, um, some mental issues right now, definitely reach out, talk to somebody, talk to a friend, talk to a family member, talk to somebody that you trust that can just be the ear that you need because for, for so many of us, that's just what we need right now. Well, and just uh, to put it back in there, we've said at the last couple episodes, the national suicide prevention line number is 
1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. And I will tell you, actually, we, we've mutually lost a couple of friends in the last year to suicide in it. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the people you leave behind don't ever, uh, ever recover from that. So just, you know, reach out. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, let's uh, maybe bring this up a little bit. <laughs> it's always a favorite time of the podcast is good old beer of the week. Wait, I have something a little That's, more important. Well, I thought we were doing that after beer Oh, yeah, of the okay, week, let's so. do beer of the week first. Yeah, right. you're right. Okay, there you go. So beer of the week. Now, even though that we are called the, uh, the native and the transplant, one beer that we had yet to actually review is the Colorado Native. So the Colorado Native is um, brewed by the Golden Brewing Company, which – is that basically Coors? Yeah, or? I think so. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually Coors, but it's in the same city. But overall, it is. I really enjoy the Colorado Native, and so we've got a couple of different ones. We've got. Um, so I started out with the West Slope IPA. I actually didn't try that one. How was it? Do I need uh, to crack it open and try it? <laughs> I really on. enjoyed it, and um, I can't grab it right now. But uh, I really enjoyed that one. It's, again, it's a. It's not a knock your socks off IPA. It's not something that's going to to hammer you, um, but it's definitely one of those that if you tend to enjoy um, your hoppier beers, it's something that you can easily grab one or two or three of them and and be able to kick back and enjoy them. But which ones? Okay, so I the first one I tried was the Amber, um, and actually I should note that um, Colorado Native is only available in Colorado. Yes, it is. Um, they have some really <laughs> cool artwork on the cans. Of course, I'm always going to love the Colorado flag, and it's got all kinds of nature stuff. There's there's silhouettes of elk and eagles and all kinds of you know rams and cool stuff. Um, but the amber is coming in at 5.5 percent alcohol by volume, um, and it is it. So I made some notes on it. Um, clean. It is malty. It's got kind of a caramely taste to it. It's um, it's got a, a a light hoppy ending, but nothing overwhelming. Um, super good. I like this one. That's awesome. And I forgot to say that about the uh, the West Slope IPA. Um, that one also is a five uh, five and a half percent alcohol by volume, and it's also uh, they've got their IBU rating, which is a fifty two. All right. Oh yeah, the IBU on the um, the amber is a thirty eight. So I'm going to crack this IPA because now it's a thing. Now it's a thing. and So honestly, I, I got to thinking about this on the way over here. I was thinking about you're, IPAs. Yeah, you're becoming an IPA fan. Well, you know what? Um, <laughs> what I'm not a fan of is heavy hops. Okay. So if the hops are well balanced, I do tend to like it. And I, I'm not a not fan of of IPAs, I think it, it, it was kind of, it was like, well, you know. So you aren't really a fan of the more bitterness in, mm -hmm. that some IPAs have. It's got a good crisp, um, kind of citrusy flavor to it. Um, it is a good clean hops fit flavor. There's a little more hops at the end that I like, um, but it's not a bad beer. It's pretty good. There you have it, folks. She is. <laughs> I think this is four weeks in a row that she's enjoyed the IPA. So I know. We're gonna keep the ball rolling. Well, the next one that we had was the Cerveza Nativa. So it is a. Um, so it's a, a Mexican style lager. I, in general, I'm a fan of Mexican style lagers. Um, my favorite is Tecate. This one is really good. Yeah. 
Um, boy, and, is it good. Yeah, I enjoyed this one as well. It's a little bit less on the alcohol by volume. It's a 4.9, and then it's definitely down there on the IBU at 20. Um, and what they say is made with only Colorado in mind. We might not have sandy beaches, but we make up for it with the mountains. And this Mexican-style lager is brewed for the altitude, crisp and refreshing as you'd expect, but a bit more flavor. And that's definitely, I would say that that's a very accurate assessment. Yeah, it's not a heavy beer, um, but it definitely has that Mexican lager flavor to it. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a light Mexican beer at all. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'd grab that every day of the week over a Corona. Uh, yeah, every time. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Corona beer at all. Um, Neither am I. I just, I think it's bitter and I don't like it. If I, if I put enough salt and lime in there, I might be able to, to choke one down, but I, it's not, not my favorite, but this, that, yeah, that, the, um, Cerveza Nativa is pretty good. Yeah. I like this one. Yeah. So three different beers for beer of the week, but all from the Colorado native. And if you have not picked up, I highly encourage you picking up one of their sampler packs. They're available pretty much at any and every liquor store. So yeah, definitely yeah. grab a pack of Colorado Native. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. I'm digging it. All, All right. right. Next week. Okay. Next week we have, um, so we talked about this a little bit last week. We gave a little teaser, um, for the event that we're having. We'll talk about that in just a second, but w next week we have Megan Lundstrom, uh, Megan Lundstrom, who is the founder of the Avery center, uh, located in Greeley, Colorado. Um, the Avery center actually, um, I want to read their mission statement to you cause it's super cool. Um, we exist to create trauma-informed services backed with survivor-led sex trafficking research. This enables us to lead change makers to end exploitation. Okay. So the Avery Center has been actively involved in highlighting and helping to um, rescue women from sexual ex exploitation. Um, and they have done an amazing job just by getting out information about how sexual exploitation happens and how women and even men, but obviously 90% um, of people that are exploited are women, um, how women are exploited and how a normal situation could lead to that exploitation. Um, I think it's really important to highlight this because we don't always know how our children and our, you know, how they're vulnerable to these kind of things. And the Avery center does a really good job about talking about and then finding solutions for these women. Um, you know, they actually employ a lot of people who have been trafficked and they're very, very active in the community in, um, essentially finding ways to stop that exploitation. Uh, Megan will talk a lot about this. I don't want to go into what she's talking about because it is no. my words mean nothing. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing with talking with, uh, talking with Megan is we don't have a time table set. So no. we're, we're gonna just go for the amount of time that she's willing to, to speak and share yeah, and to tell her story and to tell her story. So, uh, I know our typical podcast is about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Um, it's possible it may be a lot longer next week, but it'll definitely be worth a listen. Well, and I will tell you, um, listening to her talk is, is a life changing experience. Yep. And, and I mean, so eye opening, so it's just such a profound and amazing experience to hear. I'm super, super proud that we're able to talk to her. Yep. And also part of the reason why we're having her on is because on Saturday, September 25th at Satori Tattoo from noon until six, uh, we have a special that's going on. So they are doing the, um, 
survivor tattoo. Yeah, the sexual assault survivor tattoo. So all yeah. all of their tattoo artists are going to be in house, and for eighty dollars, you're able to get this tattoo, and fifty percent of that is going directly back to the Avery House. Correct, and in, in addition, um, we're going to do some um, silent auction items. Uh, so far, I've got a few people that have reached out. Well, actually several people that have reached out with items that they'd like to put into that auction. I mean, I'm seeing massages and photography sessions and all kinds of really cool local businesses that are, that believe and want to invest in this, this center. Um, so if you, as a small business owner or somebody that knows you could bring a basket or items that could give certificates, anything like that, really. Yeah, um, piece of artwork, whatever it yeah, may be. Yeah. We would love for you to contact us. Again, it's the native.thetransplant at gmail.com. Um, or, you know, shoot one of us a message. Um, and we'll be putting some, we'll be put, putting the flyer up and creating an event page here in the next 24 hours. And, and, um, Kim is designing our new logo. So we kind of held off on, on creating those items so that we could really make sure it was what we wanted everybody to see. Um, contact us, please. I, I will tell you, um, when you hear Megan talk, it is a game changer. Yeah. It's a game changer. And, and the thing is, is that there really should be some, conversations. And, and I assure you, I don't even know about you, Alex. I don't really have a list of questions that I want to ask her. I want her to just talk. Yes. And that's going to be the kind of the main goal <clears throat> Yeah, is to hear her story and be able to share that with, with all of you. And, um, again, if you want to participate and want to partake, um, September 25th from noon until 6 PM, at Satori Tattoo. Again, they're at 116 East 4th Street in downtown Loveland. And if you, again, have a silent auction item that you'd like to donate or even just donate um, to this cause, this incredible mm-hmm. cause, reach out to us at the native.thetransplant at gmail.com. There it is. Awesome. And so one of the other stories that I do want to bring up, uh, it's actually a, a listener of ours that reached out to us, um, and it's dealing with CRT. So and this is going to be two weeks. Um, we will have that story for you, but it's uh, gained a lot of <laughs> it's critical a, race theory. Yeah, critical race about. theory okay. um, because there's been multiple Colorado teachers that pledged to teach critical race theory despite what the parents are saying. And so it's one of those topics that we're going to dive into it and get a little bit more information. And then um, I'm hoping that we will actually have a guest on that will give us a little bit more information as to what CRT is and what's going on right now with our school system. So that's going to be in two weeks um, after the great interview that we're going to have next week. So as always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.